The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, everyone. As always, I'm Darren Karp, and I am with the beautiful and summery question mark I'm in a bathing suit Liz Cully that's what it is okay okay you're in a bathing suit and you are on the east coast we are in the same time zone today Liz and you look great (laughs) (laughs) I am presently in a basement because when I arrived to my in-laws this was really fun Darren I think you'll appreciate this yeah we arrived on Tuesday afternoon and I had a massive meeting that I was hosting in That's like right. an hour once we got there. And we get, we get here, Rachel's parents pick us up in Philly. We drive out to the burbs and we get mm-hmm. here and I'm like, what's the Wi-Fi address? Oh no. That's, that's the start of a story. That's the start and of a story. Of course. It's like QXP. No, no, no. I wish it just gets like on repeat. Xfinity. I'm like, no, no, no. That's the carrier. <laughs> But I've tried that and it looks, she's like, I don't know, go look on the box. So I walk down to the basement, look on the box, but they have a custom Wi-Fi name, which if you've set up your Wi-Fi before, if you have a custom Wi-Fi name, that means you were on the phone with someone and you set up a password. So I was like, right, there's correct. no way. So to make a very long story short, none of our hotspots would work. I'm shitting bricks. And Rachel is the youngest out of two kids, her older brother, Nick. He's very um, favorited around here. Ah, and okay. so is he gay? Can I no, ask? He's straight. That? Okay, okay. No, no, Curious. not even close. Yeah, he's like so straight. And Rachel is full gay, right? Like she's not. She's not bi. I mean, when I say full not gay, even like she's close. just yeah, gay. she's gay. And so Rachel's like, well, you might as well try my brother's name. And so I'm on my meeting on my phone, <laughs> trying like Angie Chapman one two three password. Like I'm trying everything. Sure. Sure. Apparently, Rachel calls Comcast guy. He's been through this before. Here's a fun fact for you that I didn't know. You, if you have one of those Roku's or like voice activated controllers, sure. you can ask your. This might be the only reason why you listen to Scissoring as anything today, folks. You it's can a little hack. Say to your remote, "What is my Wi-Fi password?" and it will come up on your screen. Pro tip. But the password was her brother's name and the date of his birth. So that didn't go over well. But let me tell you, that just really sets the tone of how this time has been during my last Just to ease Rachel's mind, maybe a little bit. Uh, similar thing happened. Like my brother and I always joke with my parents. Like Evan's always like, my brother's name is Evan. Uh, Evan's always like, you're the favorite. I'm like, well, of course I am because I'm amazing and you're the worst and everyone hates you. Like, it's just our joke, our banter, of course. And my parents are in on the joke. Like, we all joke about it. And like, my brother was looking for the New York Times password or something like my mom's account, New York Times password. And I was like, oh, it's her email, whatever. And, and he was like, well, what's the password? And I was like, I think it's Darren is my daughter, one, two, three or something like that. And he was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I was like, yes. So oh my God. Apparently it's a parental thing. You're never going to forget your kids' names. They had to choose one. You know what I mean? And like, you know. My just, parents don't. I know all of my parents' passwords. And it, your parents' our, passwords, I hate my kids. Yeah. <laughs> six, six, six. Six, six, six. And then to be. 420. Well, yeah. and then to be honest with you, I got really stoned because I was like, I'm going to blow my you brains edit, out. Did you edible? I, I didn't. I had a little pen with me. 
So I smoked the pen. I really went. Liz, why don't you smoke with me this way? When I want to get like blitzed with you and you never want to. Like, I just will, can't but get I'm blitzed. always like running around or doing I something. I know, you're just like so profesh. So anyway, so I get super high. <laughs> Rachel and I are like dying laughing about this password thing because I'm on, you know, this huge business call. I'm like, hi guys, sorry. Uh, my my in-laws claim that the, they just keep screaming and you can hear them in the background. Xfinity, it's Xfinity, <laughs> right? And Rachel and I, whilst stoned, I was like, why don't we call Comcast now that we know all their information and change their password to Rachel666? <laughs> Did you? Did no. you? No, but oh how funny would God. that be? Yeah. I, I want to change my passwords to Sarah's. I'm Sarah, Rachel 666. That would be. No, you should do Evan 666. It's so funny. <laughs> my parents like... would be like, but then they'd keep it. Now, like, I'm the fave. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, you I'm can't lose the better that. one. So, how was your birthday? Did you have a good one? You look Oh, my God. Gorgeous. I went to a club. We should have called. It was all in a moment, Darren. It was last minute. I know I was like, hey, what are you doing? We went to a a queer club in Silver Lake. Uh, Oh, what's it called? The Friend. Okay. And we walked up. Listen to what a vibe this is. So we had Mexican food. It was chill. There was like four of us, whatever. And then my young friend, Bridget, who you know from Overheard, was like, let's go to this club. It's supposed to be like a queer night. And we're like, okay, great. So we walk up. I'm like three margaritas deep at this point. And I am just setting the scene for you. Silver Lake, California. We walk up and there is this beautiful woman sitting at the front with the bouncer. She's probably the promoter or whatever, or worked at the club. And she's sitting on a stool. And I didn't see this at first, but Bridget clocked it. She had her entire tit out and was pumping her tit whilst sharing a cigarette with the bouncer. So she was pumping breast milk while sharing a cigarette with the bouncer. Yeah. Can you, no, no judgment, just genuinely I curious. don't know. Don't ask me. I'm not, pre- I have no idea. I but guess, was, I guess you can't smoke when you're pregnant, but why would the smoke affect breast milk? Maybe it does. I literally whatever, have no, no idea. Whatever, no judgment. It was that such, is a queer night if I've ever fucking heard of what one What a before. fucking vibe, right? We were like, what? And it was super fun and we danced for an hour and then went home, but it was great. Thank you for asking. How was Nadine? I mean- Talk about a queer night, you know what I mean? Hubba hubba. Uh, no, she she's great. She's awesome. She's back in. We're back in New York finally. Uh, we were in LA for a little bit, but back and ready to go. I'm taking her to a Yankee game tonight. Yankees are playing oh, the Red Sox, so it's gonna be sounds a, cool. It's gonna, it's gonna be a good one. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having her back. And uh, our next guest that we're talking about is reality TV gold. And recently, you know, you got me into a reality TV show. You got me in a drag race. Have you been watching All Stars, by the way? Yeah, it's terrible. This isn't I, good for you. This is the problem. It's not, it's, it's not helping me, I don't it's think. It's not helping to like, you. No. It's not helping me, but like, let me enjoy just like my, I'm going to enjoy it because like, I'm still fresh faced to it. So I don't really have, you know, I watched the 13th season, so I don't have the 12 seasons plus the other five All Star seasons to really compare it to. So I'm just like, let me be fresh faced, baby. Don't tell me why it's bad, like because I want to say why it's good. I'm still watching but, it every week. Paramount Plus, shout out. What's up? I if I were to have, I mean, Paramount Plus is like it's got everything, and it has also to. If you love Temptation Island, which I know you do, are you watching Love Island? Yes. Okay, every night you're watching it. You're not no, just no, like- No, no, I went back and wa- I just sweetie. finished. I had to watch 33 episodes of the last British one. No, but, th- okay, 
Yes, the UK one. I'm talking about this season in the United States. It's on but five see, nights I, a week. Is it going to be as good as the UK one? At least you can understand them. Because the only thing I understand oh. in Love Island UK is crack on and, and, uh, and early uh, days, oh, she early, fit, days. Or early days and grafting and shit like that. Like, I don't, I don't understand any of that stuff, even though they're speaking English. I just, the accent's so thick. I but like the United actually, States one. I like it. Can I ask I like you a question it. about the United States one? Yes. Do they actually fuck? Because I've been, yes. like Love Island UK, they like don't. Well, I think the UK in general is a little bit more reserved than that. Like in the UK, the ones that I've watched in the UK, and I could be wrong, but this is just my opinion. The UK ones, it like takes a while to go to a kiss. Like if you're kissing someone, like you're cracking on, like that is major, major, major. I'm trying to use that. They're grafting heavily. I'm probably using all this wrong. But in the United States, it's like the first moment you met, you first moment you meet, like you're making out with them just to like. Like I want Temptation feel it Island season two. People are fucking on the first date before yes. they even like that was did crazy. You, did you watch really quickly before we get into our reality royalty? But like, did you watch the season of Love Island UK with that guy named Al? No. Okay. Well, one of the guys, Al, I can't remember what season it was. I want to say it was two years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. He's now dating. Lisa Rinna's daughter, Delilah. Wow, those girls just know how to pick them, don't they? So Rinna's other daughter, Amelia, is dating Scott Disick. That's what I'm saying. Delilah is dating Eyal. So it's like reality TV explosion over in that house. And I am like freaking out. And I obviously watch a lot of TV. Big Brother is on right now, which is one of my favorites. And there was actually, I wanted to bring your attention to this because so we're recording this on a Thursday. It was Wednesday's episodes. So when you guys are listening to this on Friday, it was Wednesday's episode. A woman on it is bisexual. And she was talking about how she's like, my parents have a really hard time. I can't remember where she's from, but she was like, my parents have a really hard time with it. Cause she's like, the thing for them is that I could just be with a guy. Like I never had to say I was bisexual. I could have just been with a guy. And she's like, but it was a very interesting conversation about mm. bi erasure and how her parents. So I kind of encourage everyone to to look at that. Also, before we get into Norm, I also wanted to say I learned a new term called demisexual. Have you learned what a demisexual is? No. A demisexual is somebody who was which I might not agree with this term because I don't necessarily think it's a sexuality. I think it's more of an attraction thing, but. A demisexual is someone who is attracted to someone who can't find someone or can't sleep with someone unless they're like emotionally connected to them. So you like you're you're falling in love kind of like you have in order to have sex or open up to a person, you have to like be emotionally tied to them, which is interesting to me. It's just like, well, yeah, I'm also I, I, that's how I feel. But like you never fuck nobody that you don't know that well. I've never. I mean, not that I've known one at well. Really? I've, You've I've, never I've had been, a one night stand ever in your life? Never in my life. I've never had a one night stand in my entire life. Never, not once. Oh, I cannot say the same. No judgment. It's it's not a judgment. To I, me, that's just, I'm not asking. Yeah. I know. I'm, I know you're I'm not. not I, I'm not prude either. Actually, it's not like, actually, Darren, I don't judge you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't judge me for it probably is the better thing. But, I don't uh, judge you for not having no strings attached sex, even though if I could recommend it, for especially those of you that are anxiously attached, like myself, it's great. Anxiously attached. I like this that's, new. That's uh, been a real theme in therapy recently. Ooh. Well, <laughs> no, I get that. Well, I think even with Big Brother, even today in 2021, it's important for those stories to kind of get told. And our guest today was really, I want to say a pioneer. 
Big time, big time. I think I think Pioneer is kind of the best way to put it. But when Real World first came out, they just came out with Real World Homecoming last year, which is essentially a, a reunion of the first cast that took place in New York. Uh, first cast of Real World, which really set the precedent for reality TV, like really put reality TV on the map in a lot of ways. Norm, who was our, our guest, was a gay man, is a gay man. And really the first kind of person we see on TV kind of being himself. And he definitely talks about it, especially being in New York City, which you feel like everything is so much more accepting here than maybe in other places of the world, but not so all the time. And Norm is just, I mean, he's kind of one of my heroes, I would say, just being in reality Um, TV, but also- A hundred percent is our A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent is a hero. And he was just so fascinating and he kind of goes right into it with a bang and he's just, he's no holds barred. And we're, we're all here for it. He's also a brilliant artist. So Liz, should we, without further ado, should we just introduce Norm right now? Cause it's Norm. It's Norm. A hundred percent. Well, Darren, we have yes. a very exciting guest today. Somebody that I know you and I both really admire. We both look up to. Super. And this um, is, by the way, Liz, like reality TV gold and dreams all coming to life right now. And now that I'm getting you even more into reality TV, even no. though you were into it before, like it's all the feels for us right now. It's all, all the, the feels, feels for us. All the, all the feels. We have Norman Corpy today, who is the yes. original OG on New York uh, Real World. The first, first season. ever season of the real world. Um, Norman is a very accomplished artist. He was an incredible, like worked in a million different facets and ways. He's and also part of Act Up, Act up, up and everything. Yep. Uh, in the entertainment industry, he's done. He's worn many, many hats. Norman, welcome to the show. And how did this all happen? And what has been going on with you? I've been on like a hamster wheel. It's like so nuts. I who knew? And the, like the show, literally, just I who knew that it was going to have any kind of impact in the way that it did and. It was so interesting how they cut it up that it wasn't just like, you know, those sit down reunions. You sit on a couch and you go, oh, that's what I'm doing now. You know, it really was a whole new episodes. It really just kind of was very interesting. Did you know that it was going to be like that? I mean, I I was reading an article that you did and you were kind of talking about the fact that when you went back into the house, it was like the sounds, the smell, like everything was so strange what did you feel when the producers called you or who how did you get how did you find out like how did they wrangle you back in the show you know how i found out was like just december and i was really into my drunken stage of life and we all were (laughs) i was gonna say we all had that stage we all (laughs) had my poor liver was just like please norm stop all this and i really haven't had a drink since the show which is kind of good but yeah, I got a text from Eric of all people. And usually it's <laughs> four or five of us that are trying to convince him to do something like, come on, Eric, come and do this. He's like, no, I'm growing carrots in Hawaii. I don't want to be bothered, you know, <laughs> and that's such an Eric response. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is such a joke. And then Kevin was the next one. And he's oh, it's such a loose cannon disappears. And, you know, it's like a magic rabbit. Here he is. And then he's gone. I'm like. What the two of you are, you know, so I had to verify with Julie and Heather, my confidants. I'm like, figure this out. This can't be real that they're going to try to put this all together. 
And yeah, they they led the, the charge on this was going to really happen. And then it was just like the layers of layers. Like now we have to go through this crazy COVID testing. We're not even the vaccines aren't even being approved yet. And what? I mean, New York's such a hot spot. I'm like, I'm literally hiding in the woods of northern Michigan. And <laughs> uh, I mean, with two elderly parents and I'm like. This just seems so nuts. But at the same time, like, oh, gosh, a trip to go back to New York. Well, we went to New York and we were sequestered in hotels. So we couldn't even see each other for at least 10 days. We're really serious about it, you know. But that was like my, the biggest break from the bakery was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to sleep in this hotel room. I Because I usually like, get up at like five in the morning to be in the bakery and work. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have to do anything for my parents. And I'm just going to sit in this hotel bed. And they wouldn't even let you open the door. There was like have the food come and then you're going to have a, and they'd have people monitor. I know that Becky, she escaped. She did some magic trick and then she went off and bought like fur jackets and Apple computers and whatever she get her hands on. You Sounds know, she about right. That's Becky. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> she's clever. God darn it all. I'm like, oh, I could use new shoes. I'm sitting here in this room taking this all seriously, you know, <laughs> but you know, I will say you're probably one of the only, and I interview reality stars for a living. In fact, I interviewed Kevin not too long ago. I was like, you guys are the only show where it's like a real look back at 30 years of like, not only you guys, but just the world is different. And like real world started it all. I mean, are you still surprised at like how big of a hit it really is? Like it's a cultural I, touchstone for so many of us. Yeah. You know, and over the year, I guess it just shows what type of an impact. I mean, a lot of shows have kind of wanted to take away our thunder or kind of clouded or try to get their own publicity to launch their own products. And it's always about pushing the product. But when you do something that's really naturally changing, like you really change something in society, you can't take that away. So yeah, right. it's it has had that kind of an impact. And now there's a younger generation and they might not quite understand or get what the landscape of television was or the landscape of how people socially connected with people. I mean, what we saw as far as like movies and television and everything that was even scripted, you look at like people like real actors and you look at these movies prior to 1992 and you're like, oh my God, it looks seems so fake. I can't even watch that movie because even the impact of real dialogue had on movies. You could see right. eventually movies had that scripted, make your mark, you know, that's the line from the writer. You got to respect that. Now it's so much improv because it feels so artificial to have something so written by right. directors. And so you see this impact and, and it, all these impacts really come down to this odd show that was so such a crazy renegade. I'm impressed by it all, but I look back and it has been pretty impactful. I mean, I, I still watch the challenge, so I'm <laughs> deep in this shit, but sorry, Liz. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, and it, what was really cool to have you guys come back to your point earlier, Norman, where yeah. you're like, it wasn't just us on a couch, but we were really reliving kind of the experience was to learn all of the things that I don't think we knew. I mean, I watched mm -hmm. it in real time, mm -hmm. which is you know, I just remember, I mean, it was just such a huge, every day after school, like coming back and watching the real world, you know, sitting on the floor, like be before my parents came home from work. And it's like, y'all were not paid very much. You guys were mm. actually really cool creators and artists within your own right, which I don't think you could replicate that again. And it never really did. You were paid what, like a hundred bucks or something I read yeah. an yeah. episode. And didn't you think that the show was something, I think I remember you guys talking about that. It wasn't really called the real world. Obviously that came later, mm -hmm. but what was, 
when you were going into it, were you like, okay, this is a great way for me to get my name out there for my art? Or like, what were you thinking? Or you were like, whatever, fuck it. I'm going to get a couple hundred bucks. I think it, it was a creative mixture of, of, of a lot of that. I was part of like act up and doing lots of like creative, crazy stuff. I did work for a stint when I was very young on the Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame. So I was like the guy that just brought the wow. cameras around. I was like 17 years old and in New York trying to get like film experience and stuff. So that was kind of an interesting thing. And I was around a lot of the, the, the remaining Warholian diaspora that was like, okay, do something sensational and you'll explode all over the place. And MTV was such this crazy, like hot ticket. So I never really thought they would take me in any sense. And I, I was really hoping for um, they'd grab the loft. But when they did go in, I was thinking, wow, there's so many things are going to check a box here. You know, it's like, People really haven't seen a gay person on television. That's right. gonna be, and when you're in New York, you just, you know, coming from the, the Midwest and then going to New York, you, you feel kind of safe in Manhattan. Like you could just do anything. Like Los Angeles is never going to put a show like this on television. And MTV is the only one that really could do something like this. And I just thought this would be so groundbreaking and just enough to stir up things like out there in the country. If whatever lands on the screen is going to be enough to like really shock people. And I had already gone through, you know, at least five years of living in New York, you know, from college and then just kind of getting out of college that I, I lost so many friends to the AIDS epidemic, you know, and it was just, re and, and just like how people viewed, you know, the LGBTQ community where it was, was insane, you know, like all of these things were seen in such this, short lens and i just thought here's an opportunity to be kind of like the ozzy and harriet of gay television you know and just something that everybody could relate to and non-threatening and just kind of like serve that to america not only just america but mtv was notorious for being in 144 countries so this show right. really had an impact globally you know i mean norman like you're probably one of the first people who's ever like you were coming out, you were being gay in 144 countries in the 90s, bro. Like, we're like, on a trip. Let's have fun. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> yes. I'm thinking over here, you know, you're obviously on scissoring isn't a thing. And we talk about a lot of queer culture. And one of the things that we often ask is how you identify sexually. And I know that you're an openly gay man. I don't want to speak for you, but yeah. I seem to recall that the real world portrayed you as bisexual at the time. Yeah. What was that? And, you know, you're amongst friends here. Liz is a bisexual yeah. and, I, and I'm a gay girl. So you're amongst <laughs> friends. But gee, was that your call? Was that their call? Was it somehow to make you more palatable? Like, you know, what was I, that? I mean, I think they cut my real interview. It's like, I am bisexual. I date straight men, too. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I'm dead. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so good. But I would also almost argue that being bisexual is almost more hypersexualized than being yeah. gay. In a, in oh, my, you know, in my it opinion. was such a hot button when they exactly it was such a hot button back in the day, especially yeah. when people didn't have the visibility and all of a sudden they have the visibility and people are like, look, they can't eat. No one can even acknowledge who they are. And it was a, such a, this tumultuous time that it's like, okay, how do we define him? How are we going to put this person in a box? You know, we don't want to like isolate people. Maybe if we include this 
And I mean, if you want to get down to brass tacks, I mean, yes, I have slept with with women. But the way I did this show, because they interview you, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, the first person I had sex with was my friend Lisa Siegel, which, you know, I mentioned on the show and they had to clear it. And she goes like, oh, Norman, in high school, I can't believe you busted me out. It's like, I'm the girl that probably made you gay. And we're <laughs> steadfast friends, me and Lisa. And um, but I mean, if you want to look at it like, OK, like scientifically, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So as you're kind of like explaining this, but as far as like what's in your mind and where you're going, they didn't honor that part you know, of me. It's like I had already been living with some, a man for three years that we had just broken up. And so that was the difficult thing for me was, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say, yeah, of course. I mean, when I was in third grade, I was Linda Carter. Forget it. That was my life. Wonder Woman. <laughs> in fact, I Who ran around the neighborhood Norm? as Wonder Norman. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just so nuts. But, you know, when they take that kind of information interviewing you and then they make those choices and then they do the interviews for the New York Times. And then you see it and you're like, what have you just done? I mean, like, you know, right. I have to lead my life. And now you've just put me in this unusual box. It's so, you know, you're the people with the media and the power. Like, I, how am I going to like refute this? And so it was difficult because a lot of the gay friends that I had and the people that were like, mm, you know, he's just bisexual. They just kind of like snubbed me. I was, I'm very snubbed. Oh, come on. I do imagine it's hard to come out and yeah. then you come out sort of as the wrong thing. Sorry. I mean, like, or not you coming out as the wrong thing, but like, you know, yeah. like Liz, and I don't want to speak for Liz and Liz, you probably have something more to say about this, but like Liz is married to a woman. And yeah. sometimes we've talked about how sometimes she's just like, sometimes I just say I'm lesbian because it's just like easier because then yeah, when I, I say I'm bi, you know, people are like, well, are you married? You're like, yeah, I'm a woman. And it's like, oh, well, you're a lesbian. And she's like, no, I'm still attracted to men. I just happen to marry a woman. Right, Liz? Right. I mean, it's like always you trying to like re-explain or whatever. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just, it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Not to even get like so deep on it. But I think that's what, and Darren, I'm so happy that you brought that up is because I remember kind of thinking about that being like, God, bisexual people are so really right. objectified into this like sexual thing. So I'm surprised MTV would have done that. I think nowadays, you know, Darren is yeah. the reality star queen over here. She knows yeah. everything about reality TV. Something that I think we now know as as fans uh, is about editing, like what you're yeah. talking about now. And I think now everyone's like, oh, God, well, you never know how the producers are going to edit you. But you had no reference for it going yes. on, you know? I mean, it's so nutty. It's so crazy. In fact, it drove me so crazy with some stuff is that I actually made this kind of farcical film called The Wedding Video, which right. I brought up to Sundance. And um, at some point I'm gonna figure out how to, it's all digitized. We were one of the first digital films, so we never could transfer to film, but it, it really talked about this experience. And in this, I'm moving, I'm marrying this person named Sky. And so just playing off the whole bisexual thing is that all my friends, and they're all real world people that I recasted, they all play likenesses of themselves and they come back and Heather B is just genius, but they all think Sky is a girl. You know, so we play off this whole thing until they get to my wedding and it's a gay wedding. And so it's all this disaster that's caught on camera. So it's from the perspective of the cameraman and he's slowly going through catching all of the funny things that everyone's kind of snickering behind my back. And this is before they even launched game. This is like 1999 when I shot this, just to also point out a few things about like the gay community myself. Also, the guy was from Canada. So how difficult, you know, our rights were. But the whole movie is all of this vast comedy of outtakes. And then you watch this very choreographed written by me. And then at the end, it's like three minutes. Everything's edited away and everybody becomes somebody else. So you see Rachel Campos 
and Sean Duffy, you know, these people who are like, you know, and they're horrified because they're like, oh my God, please don't let that movie come back. What did we do back in the day? Shoot that movie for you. <laughs> You're like, that's so funny because I now have mm. a, de- it's yeah. streaming live on Paramount Plus. That's it so strange. It came back yeah, in right. my hands. Warner Brothers had it for 15 years and they forgot about it. And now it's mine. They didn't read, they didn't re-option to buy it back. <laughs> yeah, th- that's right. I mean, you know, listen, we're talking about 30 years ago, obviously we're seeing a gay man, bisexual for whatever, uh, on the screen, different races, different backgrounds. It sort of feels like it was ahead of its time. Like we don't even get TV like that anymore. Like people are always complaining about making, so I work at Bravo. And so people are always complaining mm-hmm. about making Bravo casts a little bit more diverse or, or this and that, you know, housewives is very like of the city. But don't you think that real world was like, like, it almost feels like we're going backwards. Like real world did that before. Like, talk about a weird melting pot of people. I mean, do you think a show like the real world should always exist? Do you think that it can exist in the same way today that it existed 30 years ago? Well, I think that once you have a dynamic cast and it works and you enjoy and you get some kind of benefit, like, these, you know, no matter what it is, if people can lead you on a journey, it could be done in a gas station, for God's sakes. I mean, I have seen like <laughs> certain housewives and I'm like, oh, my God. And you just get so caught with their personalities. I don't care if sure. they come back and they lose their money and they're no longer in Orange County. I'm like, oh, wherever she's going with what's coming out of her is just hysterical. I need to you know, follow up on all that. And I think that's is the magic of, of our cast is that I think they were always afraid that once they brought the cameras back, that we would no cameras were there or we would act a camera. No, we were exactly the same idiots that we were back then. You know, we were just like, oh, bouncing off of each other. And, you know, we know that there's ultimately going to be a show here, you know, uh, that ultimately something is going to be made from this. We've had that experience. And so we've learned to listen to each other. I learned to like interject, you know, I learned to try to stop it before it gets too heavy. You know, I wish I could have been less surprised with like what had happened with Becky, you know, because that was something that just kind of like, boom. And I think we were just too, that was so new for us that I, I wish we could have said, oh, it's time for a coffee break. You know, it's like, hey, let's get up and shake it off and move around. But, you know, you know, coming back to like these reality shows, I think the ones that really work are where there's a group of people that connect. And that's anything like when you see like whatever friends or any of these shows where you see a character and you you see their lives and you see this journey and and these people allow you to take you on this journey with them. And I think that's what we do. I often argue that we were kind of robbed because of COVID because a lot of things had happened and we couldn't shoot as many episodes as I think we were intending to do. And we, we didn't get to have Eric there in the house. He's got right. a big, long story that's really interesting. I mean, he's done yeah. so much to really have him there would have been so awesome. And we really would have brought some stuff on. I, I really felt like we didn't get enough of Andre and his music and what's going on with him. Yep. And right. um, so I really think there's a great opportunity for a little more of, of seeing us out and about. So I, I think the problem is, is that if you if the producers are on these types of programs are so banked on, like, let's find a way to have the biggest controversy happen you're like on pins and needles you're just waiting for the chalkboard to go scratching and scratching you know if you're just waiting for all the pucks to come in and i love puck but you're waiting for that ad that relationship to just blow apart blow apart blow apart i mean i don't know i just think the the world goes yin and yang you know where we love when the trump is there screaming and yelling and then all of a sudden we love when it's all calm waters you know and we gotta go right. back and forth you know ugh. 
maybe yeah. we're just in this part where we're calm waters and we just, you know, kind of enjoy seeing people kind of as people. I don't know. I don't know if you followed along with the Colton Underwood, you know, previous bachelor. He just came out as gay yes. a couple months ago. I was like, is the tabloid correct here? Because I was like, <laughs> what are these bachelors be coming out? I could t- the bachelors that they were brave. They came out, like, you know, yeah, I, out there in Mexico. Right. And they're like, she's like, oh, I'm going to have my girlfriend shop. I'm like, oh, good. And he's running around the beach. like, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're like, mm, I'm sensing something here. <laughs> I'm curious for you, though. I mean, you were obviously on television at a time your first in on television at a time when social media didn't exist. But was there any part of you that was a little worried about how they were going to portray a queer male on television at all? Like, were you worried about that? I mean, we're kind, you're coming early 90s, kind of right off the AIDS crisis, to some extent right. still kind of occurring. I mean, a lot of stigma about being a gay guy. Were you worried about right. it? You know, I was super conscious of it. I mean, I went in and it was my personal task was like, okay, I can't control the camera. They're going to roll. I get that. My thing is I have just, you know, got to be friends with these people. Like I need to get to know everyone in this house and make them my ally best as possible. I guess, you know, it's harder to kill your kidnapper when you get them to know your name. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that makes it more difficult. So, <laughs> Sorry, that is so funny. Good life lesson from Norm yeah. here. Good life lesson yes. from him, yes. Someone that has been kidnapped is, uh, knows. So, um, you are kind of kidnapped in real world, though. I was kidnapped. I was yeah. kidnapped. And so that was a big thing for me is because I, I knew I was kind of running the risk. You know, I was pretty woke back then to the plight of the gays. And I fortunately had gone through my college experience. And I also went to a wonderful boarding school in Michigan. So I had lived in a group dynamic. So it, that kind of informed me a little bit of like how I could bring my story, which was going to be so many other people's stories out there. You know, I just, I knew there was a lot to go and, 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 it, and it, I took a huge hit. I mean, not one agent wanted to talk to me. I mean, they actually called me up to be Conan O'Brien. Like I literally went and shot the pilot for NBC to do late night television. And what happens is that people don't watch the show like, oh, um, they'll see the whole arc of you, Norm, and bisexual, and then you'll see Charles Perez and you're gay. I'm like, no, people watch it and they're bored with the damn show or they don't like it. And they just hear the, the headlines. Oh, bisexual, this, that, and they're on. Or they don't even read the headlines. They just say, oh, we need talented people from MTV. Call them all in. And so that's what would happen to us. They're like, oh, my gosh, who are these people? Call, bring them in. I go in for like root beer commercials, battery commercials, car commercials, in which I did make it through in the car commercial until Rush Limbaugh was like, there is a homosexual on this commercial. And how dare, you know, GM, like, you know, lay off 70,000 workers when they're gay people. And they, it was a big <laughs> article in the Los in the New York Times in like 1993 for J, Chevy Geo Metro. And we did four spots and bam, they wiped them all out because of me. I mean, people don't get it now, nobody. And so eight years was nothing like nobody, no agents calling you, no one's talking to you. So, but on the flip side, like I'm saying, I, so many people changed. I mean, I watched geometrically high school gay groups start to form and communications before the internet and groups and then people align themselves in a way that the show really informed them and helped them and so that was an incredible gift a bigger gift than you know all that stuff but you know i 
literally personally took like a massive like financial hit on all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> what was it like moving to LA then? Cause I know New York and LA, especially in the nineties, was so, so, di- I mean, it's still so different now. COVID, a lot of yeah. New Yorkers have come West, but what was that like being, you know, well, well known and gay and in WeHo? What, like, and- exactly. One of the things that lured me out was that I was also to replace Greg Kinnear for Talk Soup. So that's why I landed there. And then I ended up dating Whoa. this guy. And guess what? who didn't get the show? Yeah, I, I remember sitting in the lobby up against Margaret Cho, early Margaret Cho. And she was just like, oh my God, I can't believe you're here. You know, and yeah, but no, still, mm -mm, they're like, they don't, they didn't watch the show or they didn't, people weren't informed those first two years. They would just hear the notes like, oh, real world, it's a hit. You know, it was like Eric Neese was like, wherever he could be, put him on the ground, get him going, get that, the machine running, you know, and they're like, who's the other, you know, obviously the angry black guy. We're not going to use that, you know, terrible back in the day, but they're like, oh, there's another white guy. Let's put him somewhere, you know, and then it was like, okay, bye. Oh, there's some creative indifferences. I'm sorry. It was always these in creative indifferences, like goodbyes. <laughs> so I was wow. like, okay, I got to switch things up. And I just went back into doing artwork and I thought, okay, well, I, the only way to really do this is to do my own thing, you know? So it helped get in, started gay entertainment television and making programming for us. And I mean, I was, I'm very good friends with RuPaul and would have, I mean, like all, you know, all Lady Bunny, like the entire gay diaspora, like that was it. I'm going to put them on television. We're going to get them on our shows, like party. So then, you know, I helped create three shows and direct them, produce them and put them out there and do all that kind of stuff. We started to make our own little space as best we could. Will you be our director producer? Yeah. Like like, Norman, come come back to LA. We're here. Show and (laughs) do it permanently. I'm curious for you. Did you, do you have an opinion on the Ellen thing? I mean, we all, you know, especially as women, I give it up to her for losing her job. And she Mm. lost, she laid her life on the line for a lot of us to be, to be fair in the nineties, but then Obviously, years later, horrible rumors swirled, and Liz and I are kind of always sort of conflicted about the nuance of it all, you know? I know, and I'm sure I've got some probably horrible rumors, too. I've I've been in certain certain, certain places, and people are like, that Norman slept with my boyfriend. I'm like overhearing, like, in some weird town, like, in the middle of Missouri doing a speaking engagement. (laughs) And then I, like, I peer around the booth, and I'm like, hello, and and all of a sudden, it's like, ah! You know, they run (laughs) off scattering, you know? It's like, of course, (laughs) kind of. Exactly. I just think it's hard. You know, it is really hard when you're got so much going on. Eventually something's going to snap. That's why rock stars burn out or people burn out. It's like you've got three or four shows and there's other things going on and other stuff going on. And then there's so many people. Some of the worst producer types of people is the ones that, you know, are famed in like the movie Swimming with Sharks. I think we know who that is. You know, they're really difficult to work for these, yeah. but they work on mega movies around the clock. And I bet it, and, and I've worked on a lot of sets with some of these producer directors that it's just a lot of pressure, a lot of money, a lot of stuff and a lot of no downtime. And, you know, it's, that stuff's going to happen. And with anybody that has this microphone and social media, I'm sure I mean, I'm sure as a dick or whatever, and I'm sure people all, all are. I mean, that's one of my things that's fun about the wedding video is that you see we're complicated people. You know, we have these sides, good or bad. And depending on how you edit or how people see you or how people want to comment about you. And then other people like, oh, I'm going to say the same thing. I was at the restaurant and, you know, and I my the pork was dirty and she didn't like it. And, <laughs> and so she was mean. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I can't have road rage too. when you're famous. I, I, you yeah, know, and I've had my stories with Ellen. I mean, you know, I, I, she wasn't even out. I was art directing the VH1 honors in 1993 because no one was putting me on the Greg Kinnear show to be Norm Corby as the talk soup guy. So she's like, what are you doing? Why are you here? What, what are you doing swag? Are you swagging those tables? And I'm like, oh, because Ellen was the host of the VH1 honors, the first one, I think. And I'm there being like the lackey and the owners of um, MTV, Tom Preston and stuff like that were all mingling about. And she's like, how is this happening? This is like a, an icon. She, so she came up to me and she was just very generous with her comments and was just like, I wish I could be as brave as you, Norm, and, and come out. I wow. Mean, that's how I remember Alan. That's so. Well, I, so obviously she had a hard <laughs> she, time. I mean, homegirl yeah, lost you know. her job for four years. I don't think anyone thought she yeah. was bitchy back then, or certainly there were no rumors about yeah. it, but like. I can't believe she came up to you and said that. That's like she did, and it was it I was at least for some years before she even came out. But she was just she was astonished that I was like literally wow. picking up garbage on a soundstage and trying to art direct this thing that she was hosting. And she just was like, "I wish I could be as brave as you," and all this kind of stuff. I'm like oh, then you'll be picking up garbage, girl. Yeah. <laughs> You're like then you'll be me. Um, before then, we hop in, let me tell you how this story goes. <laughs> Right, exactly. Before we get into our game, which I'm going to have Liz tee up, I want to ask you, looking back at your time in the 30 years, I know you lived a life before that, but what's the biggest thing that you've learned about just being on television and kind of being this first openly out gay man and just your entire experiences, whether good or bad? If you could take like a life lesson away, what would that be? I think it's as best as you can with as much as you can carry to that I've been accessible to people. And I cringe at the fact that when someone says, Oh, I'm your fan or it's a fan or my friends think they're fans. And I just, the one thing that I I take away is that it was a social experiment to see somebody that did not come from some Hollywood background to just continue its lineage to be on television, like the rest of its family that literally ordinary people could go into a medium that was all about America and to then connect to people who were out there, people that saw the show and they felt like they could connect to you, you know, on a real basis that, you know, that you're the same person that you're seeing on television and to give them that genuine experience. And hopefully it removed that lay, that veil, like removing the veil of like fake and artificial that, you know, there's somebody out there that's not trying to pretend that there's something else that they really are right. this way. And it moves me. And when I really meet them in person, that that continues, you know, like that is honored for people to carry that through, you know, because and it's difficult because I think the history of television or movies is that other people and they're actors and they're very skilled and, and, and appreciated. So they work very hard to learn these talents to manipulate and become a character that people can't see them as anything other than that character that they connected right. to. And yeah. it's hard. And so with that experience of 30s years, people are like, oh, my God, like people who didn't know it was in the real world that are my current friends that watch this current homecoming show. are like, oh, my God, you're the same person. People are watching you that. Are. I can't believe I watched you the are. You are. Like, yeah. I just watched the, the reunion show and you're like this. Like my friends were gobsmacked. They're like, oh, I never watched it in 92, but I watched this. And it's just like it's just like when you go over to play cards. It <laughs> felt like that. Well, I'm mortified that I DM'd you and said that we were super fans, except I'm still yeah, going to toe the line. No, it's all right. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's you fine. Gotta take we all are super fans. We, are super we love you as a person. Yes. Well, Norman, we like to play a little game called Scissor Me This, 
where we just ask exactly <laughs> silly exactly. little questions. Is it me this or oh. is it me that? That's a good name of the game, though. Yeah, I yes, will be course. using that later. <laughs> so this is just kind of no nonsense, rapid fire, Norman. Not a uh, not a not a clear cut answer. Would you rather Anderson Cooper or Andy Cohen? Oh, Andy Cohen. Oh, I will Darren, let you him have to stop know. asking that question. No one's going to oh. say Anderson Cooper with you on the line. Why would they not? Because <laughs> he's they handsome. know it's going to get back he to him. Handsome. They're both very he's handsome. handsome. Okay, fine. I have one. I have one. David Bowie or George Michael? Oh, well, first I slept in David Bowie's bed. So let's just start there. Wait. With a big poster of Amon. <laughs> so. I mean, you should have, you buried the lead here. We should have started with that. Then this whole <laughs> interview would have just gone about that. But fair enough. I mean. Right. But I wasn't sleeping with David Bowie. I was sleeping with his assistant that um, controlled his apartment in West Hollywood. Hey, sometimes assistants control it all. Okay. I'm just saying. But it was on my birthday. So it was very special to sleep in David Bowie's bed. <laughs> oh my God. I'm dead. Wow. That is a fun fucking fact like two truths and a lie you gotta whip that one out every time time. like oh i sleep you know what i mean like i'm gonna even say i know someone that slept in david bowie's bed so i'm using that as a fact most annoying food trend i have to go with the avocado toast and i'm so sorry because i i had been going to hawaii for forever and my friend the amazing kim coco and we had the amazing avocado tree in her backyard and it was just always to it was just it was nothing for years and years and then all of a sudden the avocado toast meter went out of control and then when i was <laughs> living in la i don't know if you're over on the silver lake side and there's like squirrel and there's this of course and that. People, I, am. I almost lost my arm for someone trying to get ahead of me to get their avocado <laughs> toast i'm like oh, that's it you know no no more Okay. I mean, no more. Of these poor farmers are all robbing each other and killing these trees. Just get these damn avocados. It's disaster. Right. It's good, but it's not great. Yeah. You have dropped the names like it is hot, hot, hot. But I have to ask, what is the biggest celebrity DM that you've received? Ooh. <laughs> he's got such a Rolodex. He's thinking about it, Liz. That's like you and I would know immediately who's DMing us. You know, I'm like, about it. Uh, I have to go with Alan Cumming. I mean, you know what? He's uh, he, white. Uh, I mean, what a whoa. good one. Uh, I know. If only he were gay, he should come on the you show. Know, not too far behind Minnie Driver, though. Not too far. Minnie oh, Driver? Stop. Oh, my God. Come on. God, Norman, this is hitting everything. Okay. Last one for me. Who do you hate? to love on social media? Like who do you follow, but you're kind of embarrassed that you follow them. Mm. Like Liz sent me a DM from Rachel Dolezal. I and I was like, Liz, follow her, why Karen. do you follow her? And she I was don't. like, no, someone send it to me. And I was like, okay, Liz, we are, uh, we are tackling this on scissoring isn't a thing, but I know she doesn't follow. I checked. I just wanted to give her shit. Um, yeah. yeah. So who do you like? Um, hate I do, to, you know, like, I do. I don't know. It's kind of odd, but I, there's old school uh, Janet Charlton. Janet Charlton on start with the, the she used to have a show on e television with like I'm looking um, this up. bright red orange hair. She's just like she's really good friends with like Alvira, just like the old school kind of gossip. You know, she just kind of tracks everyone, but she's got oh, like this. Oh yeah, she wow. okay? Yes. Yeah, she okay. gets the she gets the good. She's. Well, she's just that reference. one. Gossip. Oh, that yeah. was a oh, okay. Gossip goddess. She's a gossip goddess. Yeah, she's a gossip Ooh. goddess. Janet Ooh. Charlton. Okay, well, wow. my last one, you know, it it's Pride Month. And so mm-hmm. I've gotta ask, New York Pride or LA Pride? Oh, New York. 
LA, I don't even know what is going on. It's so grub greedy, <laughs> you know, get online, pay for tickets, you know. It's I want just an avocado toast this, now. Yes. <laughs> the whole bit where, you know, you would have like the history and the speakers in New York City and you would just have such this historical reference and this community and all of these things that are awesome. And San Francisco is also very similar. But L.A., for some reason, it's like this weird carnival money thing. And a lot of people can't even afford these tickets to even go into these corral centers, you know, to like listen to whoever. And it is just nuts. It's so nuts. And it's always like, you know, they'll find some obscure person, sorry, from the housewives, you know, whatever, to be their like mascot. It's like bananas. It's like so crazy. I'll do you one worse. It's even worse. They want to move it to downtown LA next year. And then it's just gotten so greedy. It's just like this week and they'll get at Long Beach next week. And then it's like eight of them. And it's just like, okay, who's (laughs) behind the committees? Like, I mean, at some point people are going to be like, what? You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like the same committee is doing eight of them. They don't all have them on day because they really want to sell as many rainbow goddamn T-shirts as possible. I mean, come on, knock it off. Fair. Well, now, speaking of selling things, but finding beautiful things, where can we where can everyone follow you, find you, your art? I was on your website this week. I love the chocolate bunny. I DM you, but it would get hidden by Alan Cumming. So I know I we can't DM you because tell everyone where they can follow you. Yeah. Find your artwork, everything. Ta-da! They can find my artwork at my, my name, Norman Corpy with a K, K-O-R-P-I. It's a Corpy.com. NormanCorpy.com. And um, there'll be more art. I've been just running and grabbing the rabbits, but I actually have an entire portfolio of 30 years that will start showing up. There's over 74 different art styles. And then people have been able to come in and, and do that. And then from this new site, um, you can link into some other the projects that I've got going on. Eventually, I'm going to get this film up and running so people can download that. It is a giggle and a half. You will die. And, yes. um, and, you know, my, I have a, another company called Adaptive Origins, where I do a lot of travel accessories that, you know, bags and hats and transformable stuff and my A stand. Deep, deep, deep. So th- that all can kind of be hubbed through the normancorpy.com universe. And you can follow at us at SIAT Podcast. Norman, you are a dreamboat. A dream. And I'm so happy Liz DM'd you and harassed you and yes, was honest about us being super fans. We yes. are. Thank you so much for your time today. We're, we love you now. You're going to have to date us now, unfortunately. Now you are a straight man. Now, No, now you Ta-da. are a bisexual man Poof. because you have to now date us. Um, I got the clones. All can happen. Yes. All. <laughs> Thank you so much, Norman. You're the best. Thank you very much. I had a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you. We love you. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> 